these next several verses. We're dealing with the time of Josiah is reigning as king, and there's a revival going through the land. And that revival is, is started and established really by the, the pulling down of the strongholds. The sad thing is it's not going to last. Josiah is, uh, is going to die. He is going to be killed in a battle against Pharaoh Nico in a valley. Maybe you've heard of this valley. It's Armageddon. Uh, he's going to be in a battle at Megiddo, and he's going to perish in that place. And, and with him is going to perish the revival and the people's eyes being turned toward the Lord. And as we look at Jeremiah chapter 2, it begins uh, the first of 13 oracles um, that Jeremiah brings. Now, we're only going to go through chapter 2 tonight, but this oracle goes through six chapters. So this, uh, this word of prophecy that Jeremiah brings. And as we look at it, as we read it, I want you to remember what Jeremiah said in the first chapter. He said, but I'm just a child. I, I can't hardly speak. Well, maybe he don't speak very good, but he writes pretty good. And the Spirit of God moving through a man can overcome his shortcomings, right? The shortcomings that he felt he had, you're not going to sense any of those as we look at what he lays out for us in chapter 2. He begins, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord. He's going to remember the love that they had for him in the beginning. It should remind us of something out of Revelation chapter 2 when the Lord lays out for Ephesus, the church at Ephesus, remember, that, that they had left their first love. We have a parallel here in Jeremiah as he looks back at the nation of Israel longingly. Look what he says. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown. God says, man, we had so much love in the beginning. Back there in the beginning, it didn't matter what you had. You didn't care about whether you had good things or nice things or pretty things. You followed me in the wilderness in a land that, that was nothing. But you followed me. We had a relationship. We had the beauty of, of the love of one's youth, right? The kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. Over and over again through the Old Testament scriptures, Israel is going to be compared to the wife of God. Unfortunately, an unfaithful wife, but nonetheless, the wife of God. And here as he looks, he's remembering that initial love that they had. Look at verse 3. Israel was holiness to the Lord. Man, she was everything. She was everything. The first fruits of his increase, all that devour him will offend, and disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Listen, you see here God's passion for his bride in the fact that Israel was his holiness, and then you see God's protection. Hey, any that devour him will offend, and disaster will come upon them. The Lord says, hey, I'm watching out for you. Anybody who touches you is going to answer to me. But then verse 4, he starts, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob. Isn't that interesting? Because when he's back here, he says, I remember the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, 
when you went after me in the wilderness in a land not sown, Israel was a holiness to the Lord. What's Israel mean? Governed by God. What's Jacob? That's the other nature, right? That's that other nature. Just like you and I, right? We choose every day to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. Here we see him calling out, Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice have your fathers found in me that they've gone far from me? Now, I want you to hear the voice of God as the voice of a husband calling out to his wife who is unfaithful and has left. And he's saying to her, What did I do to you that you left me? What I do? That's what God is crying out. What injustice have your fathers found in me that they've gone far from me? What I do? Why have you left? That they have followed idols and have become idolaters. Neither did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness? through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and the shadow of death, through a land that no one crossed and where no one dwelt. God says, listen, you, they, they haven't even called out to me. Where are you, Lord? What's going on? It's, it says, no, something happened. But God says, I don't know what happened. You just left. And now you're with somebody else. You never talked to me. You never asked me. You just You just went after others scripture lays out for us that god took care of the children of israel he took care of them in the wilderness he brought them to a land of milk and honey but they turned that land into a defilement a land of abomination and this is what he's talking about spiritually their spiritual case right now in chapter two god is making his case he's about to bring his charge in verse nine for divorce from israel But in this first section, this is a cry of a husband whose heart is broken. Why did you leave me? Where would you go? What did I do? Why have you left? In verse 7, he says, I brought you into a bountiful country to eat its fruit and its goodness. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. God is saying, I provided for your every need. I gave you a land. I gave you the fruit of that land and its goodness. But I don't understand where in this, what did I do that you're left? What did I do that you've gone away from me? In verse 8, he, he kind of points to some of the issue, the, the spiritual leaders of the land. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? You remember when I was talking to you about Josiah, we gave a little history lesson last week. And as we were talking about Josiah, remember I said that at the time of Josiah, they discovered the Bible? All that while, I don't know what the priests were doing. But it was at the time of Josiah, they discovered the law. They they found it. They said, what's this scroll in here? What's this scroll doing in the tabernacle? You know that place where we come to worship God? What's this all about? It's like it was news to their ears. And that word of God brought revival through the land, but the revival falls short. And God here is calling out to his people who are headed 
toward destruction, why have you left me? What did I do to you? I've done good. I, 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 I've blessed. I've honored. Where have you gone? And he says, here's one of the issues. My priests, they don't even know the word. They, have, they don't call my name. They weren't even calling on the name of the Lord. The priests were caught up in idolatry. And then look at this next section. And those who handle the law, they didn't know me. It's like preachers today. There are preachers today teaching the word of God that don't believe. How do you do that? How do you have a very effective ministry if you don't believe what you're doing? You, you, you don't accept it. You, don't, you, can't, you handle the law, the word of God, but you don't know God. But this was God's charge against those who were in position to come before him one time a year. Right? Didn't the high priest offer sacrifice one day of the year? He walked into the Holy of Holies, saw the Shekinah glory of God in that whole room, yet they didn't know him. They didn't know him. They were to handle the law, but they didn't know him. And the rulers, they have transgressed against me. As the kings had turned their back on the Lord. And the prophets, they prophesied by Baal. Baal is a Canaanite god. In fact, in Canaanite, Baal means Lord. Baal was one of the chief uh, places of idol worship that the children of Israel went. In fact, he ends up being the god who controls rain. You may remember when the Lord brought the children of Israel to Israel, he said, listen, this is not a land with water everywhere. I, the Lord, will give you water. What kind of water does God give? Living water, right? It's what the scripture declares. How many times did Jesus say, if you thirst, come unto me and I will give you what? Living water. Good. Great. Uh, He's the very source of sustenance and water for the people. But we see them praying to Baal for water. Going to a false god in search of water. The prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that do not profit. So, God says, this is is the situation. I remember you and I don't understand what's gone wrong, but here's my charges. Therefore, I will yet bring charges against you, says the Lord. And against your children's children, I will bring charges. For pass beyond the coasts of Cyprus and see, send to Kedar and consider diligently and see if there has ever been such a thing. He's saying go as far west as you can go and as far east as you can go and see. If you've ever heard of what's going on, if you've ever heard of this, listen, verse 11, has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. He says, you look at all these other nations, they worship gods that aren't real. And whether they're conquered or whether they're defeated, doesn't make any difference. They don't change gods. But my people change the glory of Almighty God for an idol. They've left me, their husband, the husband of Israel, Almighty God, she's left me. And she's gone out to sleep with other men. This is God's charge to the 
to the nation of Israel. He says, be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Now, here's something interesting. That phrase in the Hebrew literally means, let your hair stand up. Be horribly afraid. You ever had the hair on the back of your neck stand up? That's what he says. Be afraid. This is something horrible. Be astonished. Be very desolate, says the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. Here's the key. My people have committed two evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. Two, they have hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. God is saying, I'm the fountain of living water. He's the source. He's the source. They have rejected what is good and have embraced what is worthless. Listen, water is everything, right? So if you found a land that had a spring springing up through it, would you leave that spring and rather purchase another piece of land that has a cistern, a hole dug in it, that will fill up if any water comes around. But see, God even defines it more clear. Not only is it just a cistern, it's a broken one. It's a broken one. It won't hold water. It, though it may fill up, it'll come out of the cracks. This is the evil that my people have done. They traded the truth of reality in a relationship with Almighty God for a lie. They've given away living water. Isn't it interesting that Jesus in John chapter 4 would go to a place full of half-breed Jews who had been conquered by the Assyrians and their worship was all twisted and messed up. And he would say, I need to go to Samaria to sit by this well in the middle of the afternoon while this woman comes up to him so he could present himself to her as what? Living water. Because why? Because she had traded in the living water for a broken cistern. Five different husbands, right? And the one she's with not her husband now. Always looking, but never coming to the realization of the truth. But there Jesus was. I'm the living water. I'm the living water. Put away your cisterns. What is, how's, that, how's that chapter end? She leaves her pot behind, right? And she goes and tells everyone, come see the man who told me everything that I ever knew about myself. And there was a mighty revival that went through Samaria. Why? Because the people came to the point where they wanted to receive the living water. They're tired of the broken cisterns. But again, this is a husband crying out to an unfaithful wife. This is God crying out to, to his wife who would not stay faithful to him. And he doesn't understand. And here's my charge. You've left what's real for what's false. You're putting all your hope in a broken cistern that is not reliable. And then he gives another example. He, he's going to compare Israel now to a plundered slave. He says, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Well, why then is he plundered? The young lions roared at him and growled. They made his land waste. His cities are burned without inhabitant. 
Man, he's saying the judgment comes, and as this judgment comes, <clears throat> you're plundered. Everything to waste. Why? 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 Why would you choose this road? Don't you understand where that road goes? Every day we're faced with the same choices, aren't we? To walk the walk, the, the path that God lays out for us, or to choose our own way. The, the book of Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, right? But the end thereof is the way of death. Leads to destruction. Because it's my way. Not his way. And here they're walking their way. And they're entering into a place of of plunder as a slave. He says, also the people of Noph and Tophanes. This is an idiom uh, for all of Egypt. It's two cities in Egypt at either ends of Egypt. And he's saying, listen... It's like all of Egypt have broken the crown of your head. See, they didn't know it yet. But during this revival, the revival would be crushed because Josiah wouldn't listen to the word of the Lord. Don't go, Josiah. I'm going to go. Don't go, Josiah. I'm going to go. And Josiah is killed in Megiddo. The crown of your head is broken by Egypt. Have you not brought this on yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you in the way? How many times do we end up somewhere we don't like and then we turn around and shake a fist at God? God, what are you doing? Why am I in this situation? And the Lord says, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I was leading you the way to go. You got here all by yourself. You made your decisions. You got off track. You followed the way that seems right to a man. And so God is saying to the nation of Israel here, you know, as the people are, are shaking their fists at the Lord, God says, didn't you bring this on yourself? Aren't these your choices? Wasn't it Josiah's choice? Wasn't it the people's choice to leave their God and follow other gods, worship other gods? And now, why do you take the road to Egypt? To drink the waters of Sihor. It's another word for the Nile River. To drink the waters of Sihor. Or why do you take the road to Assyria? To drink the waters of the river. See, as the correction for their sin was coming upon them, they started to go everywhere else for help. They went to Egypt and they went to Assyria. But they didn't go to God. God says, why are you going to Egypt? You're going to Egypt for help? Egypt can't help you. Why are you going to Assyria? Assyria, they can't help you. Man, there have been a variety of times in my life where I was facing... Big obstacles in my life. And I had all kind of solutions, you know, because that's what we do, right? We figure out how to solve it, how to fix it. How do I overcome this issue? And I'd bang my head against this stone wall over and over and over again, trying to change my situation and never once consider that I'm there because that's where God wants me to be and he's waiting for me instead of running to Egypt, running to Assyria, running for this way to help or that way to help to come to him. And say, Lord, I'm coming to you for help. And not just to say, Lord, I'm coming to you for help and then go do whatever you want, but to say, Lord, I'm coming to you for help and wait. What do you mean? What if God, what if God doesn't move right away? 
Uh, I can pretty much guarantee he's not going to move right away. There's purpose between, behind everything we face. Every heartache, every hurt, every issue, there's a purpose. There's something God wants to work in us. We can fight against it like clay on the wheel before the potter. Jeremiah's going to talk about that when we get to chapter 18. But does the clay ever win? i never seen a potter go, yeah, you know, I really was trying to make this jar, but the clay whooped me. <laughs> yeah, I know. No, the, the, the potter always wins. And it, you ever see what they do with clay that don't want to work? Oh, my word. They beat that, slap it, throw water on it, kick it, grind it, put it in. It's like, man, I watched that. You guys ever had potter? Has Potter's Field ever come up here? Has anybody ever seen Potter's Field Ministries? It's amazing. I'll get them up. It's amazing ministry. They do, they bring out a potter's wheel and he goes through Jeremiah and he talks about all these things that God did and, and how God works. And you look at how he's working that clay and, and all I can think is, I, I, I do whatever you want. I do not want to sit on the wheel while God is working on me and curse him and shake my fist at him and say, no, I'm not going to. You're going to lose. Let God work. Don't you believe that the vessel he's going to make out of you is better than you can ever imagine? He says, again in Jeremiah, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of good, not of evil. For what? To give you a future and a hope. That's God's heart. That's what God wants to do. That's what God wants to do with his people. But his people are saying, oh, we're going to go to Egypt. We, we hear the Babylonians are coming. We'll go get Egypt to help us. The Babylonians go through Egypt like a hot knife through butter. We'll get the Assyrians. The Babylonians go through the Assyrians like a hot knife through butter. Why, why are you wasting your time? When you could be calling upon the name of the Lord. And so he says, why are you going to these places? Look at verse 19. We need to understand this. Because I think this is still a principle in our lives today. Your own wickedness will correct you. Your own wickedness. You know, there are consequences for our choices, right? There are things that enter into my life as a result of my wickedness. Because of my rebellion against God because of my struggling against what God's trying to do. And he says, your wickedness is, is going to correct you. The consequences of our sin. Does that mean God doesn't love me? No, it has nothing to do with it. It's simply the consequences of the choices that I've made. And I've got to learn to seek my energy and power and everything I need from him to overcome the things in my life. But he says, listen, it's your wickedness that will correct you. And your backslidings will rebuke you. Know therefore and see that it is an evil thing and a bitter thing that you have forsaken the Lord your God. Again, here, this is God speaking like a husband to a wife that left him. That's the cry of the heart. Just like Hosea, just like Isaiah, the Old Testament, this is the way through the prophets that they describe the nation of Israel. And the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord God of hosts. The fear of me is not in you. You left me. You left me. 
Verse 20, for of old, I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress. When on every high hill and under every green tree, you lay down playing the harlot. God's charge to the nation. You're cheating on me. And you're not just cheating on me here and there. You're cheating on me everywhere. And God says, even though I I broke your your yoke and your bonds, didn't he free him from slavery from Egypt? Didn't he set him free numerous times by the time we come to here through the time of the judges? Didn't he send a judge to deliver the children of Israel time and time and time again when everyone did what was right in his own eyes for there was no king in Israel? And here God says, I've done all these things for you. And you said, I won't transgress. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to do it. How many of you, you ever say that to God? All right, Lord, I'm, I'm, this time I'm going to do it. This time I won't transgress. Well, at Sinai, the people said that. All that you ask, we will do. We will do. It's a great heart. But the ability to follow it up is a challenge. And for them, not only was the ability a problem, but it was on every high hill and under every green tree. And when we look at this, what we need to understand, the Canaanite worship was basically preoccupied with sex and fertility rites. And that sex and fertility rites were always practiced in hills and groves, under the green trees, And on top of the high hills. So in the Torah, God says, never put an altar by the high hills. Never put it by the groves of trees. He lays out that he wants his altar to be plain, not fancy. So that the focus is going to be on the sacrifice and what the sacrifice is all about. And the groves of trees were groves of phallic symbols. Trees carved into phallic symbols where people would come and play the harlot. So when God says, below every green tree, through the groves, on the high hills, you are literally and figuratively cheating on the Lord as you worship these false gods. But then God says, but that's not how I planted you. Look at verse 21. Yet I had planted you a noble vine. In a seed of the highest quality. How then have you turned before me into a degenerate plant and an alien vine? Look at verse 22. For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. Oh, you can go to all those places and come home and take a shower, but you have not washed the sin off of you. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? Nothing but the blood. The blood makes us clean. You cannot wash your sin away only by the blood of the Lamb. And then in verse 23, the Lord says, How can you say, I'm not polluted? I have not gone after the Baals. See your way in the valley? Know what you have done. See, they would say, oh, no, no, we're not, we're not staying with sin. Can you lie to God about what's going on in your heart? Can you say, oh, no, God, I, that's not really who I am. I'm really, 
you know, holy and righteous and I'm squared away. Saying it don't make it so. They were saying everything's good, everything's good. And the Lord says, look down in the valley. The valley. Ben-Hinnom. Later would come to be known as Gehenna. A word that Jesus would use to describe as the fires of hell. It was the dump of the city. And it was also where they would sacrifice their children to the god Molech. And he says, you say you don't worship Baals. Look in the valley. God's not blind. He can see what they're doing. He can see what's going on. He says, you are a swift dromedary breaking loose in her ways. How many people are wondering, what in the world is a dromedary? I was wondering that too. It's a camel. It's a female camel in heat. So he's saying, listen, like a female camel in heat, you are unmanageable. And then he continues that same concept in verse 24. A wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire, in her time of mating, who can turn her away. All those who seek her will not weary themselves. In her month, they will find her. It's like you have this rampant, unbridled lust. Like a donkey in heat or a camel that can't be managed because it's in heat. And they're going to be found. And people are, are, are going to do what they're going to do with you. He's saying he's laying out for them. This is your attitude. You're not even trying to bridle your lust. You're just running crazy. He says, With, withhold your foot from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, there is no hope. No, for I have loved aliens and after them I will go. There's a few people like that in New Mexico. Right outside Area 51, right? No? Yeah. The idea is, the idea is they have loved the stranger, the Canaanite, the religion that they were to, to stay away from. That had become their desire. That had become their only focus. And like the unbridled passion of a donkey in heat or a camel in heat, that's how they went after it. They can't even say, <clears throat> leave your shoes off or don't drink any water. So, you know, I just got to go. I just got, doesn't matter what it costs me. Headlong, they run to destruction. Verse 26, as a thief is ashamed when he is found out, so is the house of Israel ashamed. That's the concept of I'm sorry I got not, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry I got caught. Oh, yeah. God caught me, you know, out cheating on him again. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets. They say to a tree, you're my father. And to a stone, you gave birth to me. They have turned their back to me and not their face. The word for worship is a Greek word, proskuneu. It means to look toward, to kiss. When we go before the Lord and worship, that's it. the attitude is I'm turning my face toward Him. 
Whenever I do it, I'm reminded in Isaiah chapter 53, it says, and we hid as it were our faces from him. We wouldn't look at him. We turned our backs to the one who gave his back to bear the stripes for us. Here, he says, listen, you, you turn your back on me, not your face. But in the time of their trouble, they will say, arise and save us. Isn't that how many people's relationship with God is? I'm going to live and do and be anything I want to be, but when I get in trouble, I'll call on the name of the Lord. And it may be that God will deliver me in that time, and then as soon as God delivers me, I'm like a, like a dog back to his vomit. I'm right back to the garbage I should have walked away from. He says, they will say, arise and save us. Here's God's response in verse 28. But where are your gods that you have made for yourself? Let them arise, if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Listen, archaeology found at the time of Jeremiah whole houses complete beneath the, the, the city of Jerusalem today, and they are filled with idols. Not just an idol here or there. Filled everywhere just lock stock barrel idols it was not like oh they were doing this one little thing they had gone head over heels in the idol worship for all that they were worth that's all they cared about their house was filled with idols in fact the lord says according to the number of your cities that's how many gods you have judah so verse 29 why will you plead with me You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. Look at verse 30. In vain I have chastened your children, but they received no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets. You remember Scripture laying out for us which of the prophets did they not kill when Stephen was giving his great address to the Sanhedrin and he talks to him about which of the prophets haven't your fathers killed which of the prophets that came to you with the correction of God saying here's what you need to do differently get back on track with the Lord here's what needs to happen and then you killed them here Jeremiah the prophet by the way how comforting is this in the beginning of your ministry to say your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion Like a destroying lion. You won't receive correction when correction comes. The Bible lays out for us that we begin to harden our heart against the Lord. As our heart gets hard, as our heart begins to callous and scar, become like a stone. You remember that old song, Don't Let My Heart Be Fallow? Break up that hard ground in my heart. Soften my heart, how? With oil. Oil in the scripture always speaks of ministry of the Holy Spirit. Softening our hearts. In Ezekiel, God said, come to me with a heart of stone. 
but I can give you a heart of flesh. That God can do that work when we receive correction. If we don't receive correction, what can you do? You've made your choice. Oh, generation, see the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? Why do my people say, we are lords? We will come no more to you. They're turning their back on God. Can a virgin forget her ornaments? Let me show you another way of saying that. Does a young woman forget her jewelry? Uh, no. How about this one? Or a bride her attire. You ever show up, ladies, to your wedding without the dress? Oh, I knew I was forgetting something. The Lord says, this is ridiculous. It's like a, a young woman forgetting her jewelry or a bride forgetting her wedding dress. Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Before we're too harsh on Israel, we ought to take a, a stock of ourselves. Day ever go by, you forget to pray? Call on the name of the Lord? Seek his face? Man, he needs to be always on our lips. I don't want God to be able to say to me, Jackie, you've forgotten me days without number. So busy. You can be busy about the ministry too. That's not the same thing as spending time with the Lord. Verse 33, why do you beautify your way to seek love? Therefore, you have also taught the wicked woman your ways. Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the innocent. God says, like, it's, it's why you guys are saying you're not gone and you're, you're, not, you're okay and, and you haven't left me. And God says, but I can see the blood of the innocent on your skirt. I see the blood of your children offered up to idols. I see it. What did he say to Cain about Abel's blood? Cries out to me. Man, sometimes I think about what the, the blood of this nation is saying to God. Because if you think the blood of the innocent is not crying out to God from here, you're crazy. Yeah, we're, we're a lot more civil now. We don't have to beat the drums to drown the cries of the baby. We just burn our children in the womb. But it doesn't change it. The blood of the innocent is on your skirts. It's exactly what he's talking about. The blood of the innocent is on your skirts. I have not found it by secret search. That means it's out in the open, plain to see. But plainly on all these things. Yet you say, I'm innocent. Surely his anger will turn away from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you. Because you say, I have not sinned. That's lack of repentance. I'd say that this wife is not looking too good for her right now. What do you think? The wife of God who has left him and, and gone a whoring, cheated on him, slaughtered the innocent. 
all of these things, all these charges that God brings, I would say it's not looking very good for her. Besides the fact that she's not repentant. And she says, I have not sinned. Verse 36, he says, why do you gad about so, so much to change your way? Also, you will be ashamed of Egypt as you were ashamed of Assyria. They're not going to be able to help you. Indeed, you will go forth from him with your hands on your head. Captivity is coming. For the Lord has rejected your trusted allies, and you will not prosper by them. And this is just one of six chapters as the Lord begins to bring his charge, his quest for divorce. But before we leave this page, just look over to verse 14 of chapter 3. God says, return, O backsliding children, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city, two from a family. I will bring you to Zion. Return to me. And then turn to the right of just a couple of pages to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with what? An everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. There are still those today who say, God's plan for the nation of Israel is over. The church has replaced her. I don't know how they come up with that idea. Have you ever heard of an everlasting love? How long does that last? Crazy, huh? Crazy. Everlasting love. You know, the comfort that that brings to me is that that's the same relationship God has with the church. That the Lord desires to see the church fulfill some of those promises. You know, lay out to them, hey, as a church, uh, I want you to know that, that I've given you everlasting life. Isn't it good to know that everlasting life lasts forever? It doesn't just mean, well, I give you everlasting life today, but tomorrow if you make me mad, you're out. And here as we look. Jeremiah chapter 2, God's charge against an unfaithful wife. Give you the little clue to to coming events. God's call is still going to go out to her. Come back. Come back to me. And I love that. All day long, he reaches out his hands, not only to Israel, but to you and I, yeah, to you and me, all day, giving us that opportunity to turn to Him. Amen? Why don't we just take some time now and just seek the Lord in prayer as we close out tonight. I invite you, if the Lord lays something on your heart, and you want to pray, please do. Um, we'll stop when we stop. If you got to go before that, God bless you. Go in peace.
Um, but for the rest of us, I just encourage you to, to hang out. You have an opportunity right now, proskuneu, right? To turn your face toward the Lord and see what he'll do. See that he'll meet you in that place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. As we just seek that touch from you, God, we ask, Lord, that you meet us here. God, that you would just open our eyes to see your glory, your majesty. Help us understand. Even as we hear the hurt of a husband whose wife has left him in the voice of God the Father, may we also see that he continues to reach out to her. No matter how disobedient she's been, he still has a desire for her, a plan for her. And I thank you, God, that this shows that you will not give up on me. Though I may fail you time and time again, your forgiveness is there as I turn, as I repent, as I call upon the name of the Lord. You'll be there. We thank you for that truth. Lord, help us. May we hold on to that promise that you lay out for us.